Hello and welcome to episode 71 of Major Revisions. Joining me as always is John Walter. Hi, John. Hello. And Grace Wilkinson. Hey. Hi, Grace. Hey there, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. So, pretty excited to be recording again on a relatively routine schedule as we originally planned and then took me a while to record, but... Um, what are we talking about today, guys? We're talking about real fun stuff. We're talking about fraud. Super fun stuff. Fraud and fabrication. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, you pitched this episode. What got you thinking about this? Well, so, I guess, you know, in, in our field or, you know, research adjacent to our field, there have been... Um, some recent cases of alleged fraud, um, where there's some pretty, you know, good evidence that, uh, you know, at least some, some sort of misconduct, um, occurred, you know, we, we don't, we haven't, we haven't, we don't really know the, the reason we don't have, um, you know, a, uh, admission of guilt or anything like that from any of the, the folks involved. But, you know, we have some cases where, uh, there is, you know, pretty, I think, convincing evidence that um, data happened by unnatural means, uh, shall we say. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and that suggests, you know, some, some kind of uh, possible data fabrication. Um, and so I wanted to think about kind of like what that what that means and what that looks like for our field and, um, you know, and, and hopefully getting into how we kind of like, you know, move on from that too. All right. I'm on board. Let's define what we mean though, when we say what is fraud in this standpoint, because we're not talking about like financial fraud here, right? Like we're not talking about, um, you know, misappropriation of grant funding or anything else. That's another topic if we want to get into that but specifically we're talking about you know data fabrication what else would fall under this category i think it's totally misrepresenting results yeah probably intentionally leaving out results in order to make sure that the result you want to have be there right so omission in addition to fabrication right um p-hacking i guess would fall under this where you intentionally manipulate a data set in order to get under some arbitrary statistical value of significance speak real slow and enunciate all my words (laughs) allocution (laughs) ambulatory um i guess like trying to think of what else would fall under this well i think you know kind of thinking about this too right there are very much it's not fair to say shades of gray but there are very many different ways that this can come into play right and so while they all would fall under the ethical standard of fraud right yeah that there's lots of different ways that this can happen at different levels at the data collection the data management and the data analysis and data reporting steps or all of the above hopefully not but right right so so would it be fair then to say that um, for it to be legit fraud that usually, cause we, we're talking usually about like post publication, right? Like existing, uh, manuscripts and works that are already out there to, to rise to the case of fraud, that would almost certainly mean a retraction of that article, right? Um, 
you know, that's a good question. I'm not sure if we would, oh, hopefully it would. And if, if there had been fraud involved to me, I would think about fraud meaning intentional yeah, misdirection, okay. right? So to me, fraud is about the intentionality versus someone could arguably make really big mistakes or right have a problem that would lead to a retraction that might not necessarily have been intentional, might have been some like okay. really, really terrible mismanagement. And you'd have to question at what point, how could you not see those things? Right. But so to me, fraud is about intention, but maybe you all see it differently. No, I, no, no. I, just, no go ahead. I, I, I agree with that. I think fraud is a lot about, uh, is a lot about intent. Um, and there, I think there are some things that are a little bit like, you know, slippery too. Like Grace, you mentioned, um, leaving out results from a paper. Um, but I, and I think that there's a level at which that like can, that can, you know, be fraud. Like if you have a result that like directly contradicts, you know, another result invalidates another result and you choose not to report that, then that is getting into an area of fraud. Um, but I think, you know, probably all of us have, uh, you know, chosen what results we want to put in a manuscript because of the narrative that it creates. Um, and usually these days that means, you know, putting some other stuff in supplementary material where it is, you know, not as an important part of the narrative that you want to create, but you still are putting it in the record. Um, but you know, that, that's something that's a little bit along the same lines, but there, there's an issue of degree. Yeah. And, but I think along with that issue of degree, it gets back to the intent question and intent then leads to the, the transparency, right? So as an example, I'm currently working with a student and we're publishing a paper where they collected a ton of really great data. And there are measurements that came out from a sensor that are just outside the standard operating um, range of that sensor, and we are very likely are fraudulent or like are not fraudulent. Sorry. Are, are not, are not real. <laughs> the yeah. sensor's a fraud. Uh, that's a whole nother thing. Uh, <laughs> but, right. And so, uh, you know, we talked those through, talked about what that was, removed them from the data set and then reported in the paper exactly which measurements were re- removed and for the reason and why or and what percentage of the data those were and by the way they're still in the data file that you can download these are just the ones that we removed right and and so i think there are there's just like you said in terms of like shades of gray and whatnot there's ways that um are legitimate because we don't believe those are good data so it would not be good to include them versus i'm going to remove them and not tell anyone about it in lack of transparency so again i think it's that intent transparency and intent playing a big role there yeah, because yeah, because there's legitimate reasons to remove data from a data set if it doesn't no longer fit, you know, the experiment or the design because of some, you know, outside control. Like I had to remove, you know, a plot from uh, an experiment one time because when the plot was laid out, it was laid out during the summer and it was dry, and then um, comes into spring, it realized it was actually laid out in an ephemeral ephemeral wetland and was now completely soaked with water during the winter and the spring and was so therefore no longer viable for what we needed it to be. And so we just omitted it. And then again, like you said, we kept the data in the, um, what data was collected was kept inside the supplementary docs and it was like there. And then explained like we removed it because of X, Y, and Z. Um, 
I guess though, I, I like the intent definition, but when you're thinking of it from an, you know, trying to ferret this out and find, you know, to correct a record, that seems really difficult to prove. Well, I think that there's, I think there's a difference between correcting the record and proving fraud. Like if we're con- correcting the scientific record, um, and and this is a point that um, Dan Bolnick makes in a in in some blog posts um, related to the Jonathan Pruitt um, saga, um, is that you know correcting the scientific record isn't necessarily about intent. It's you know about what results are reliable and um, and, and which aren't. And sometimes that means retracting papers. Sometimes that means issuing corrections. I've corrected, I corrected my like most cited and well-known paper because we found an error in some code that I wrote. Um, I didn't catch it because it only popped up in sort of like uh, more complicated cases than the one that I tested. Um, but we found it later when we were trying to use the same code for something else. It didn't really affect our results, so we just published a correction to it and you know, posted a new set of code to go with the, the paper. Um, and you know, that was warranted because the conclusions didn't change at all. And, and that's something that yeah. um, is a characteristic of you know, some papers that you know, Pruitt is a, um, is an author on, um, and, you know, but there are other things that, that need to be removed from the record in order to, um, in order to make it a reflection of reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a perfectly natural way. And I think probably a healthy way for quote science to, you know, kind of continue. It should be a, you know, self-correcting thing because you know, people make mistakes and it's perfectly natural. And I think like Grace said, and John, you talked about like, if you have the transparency, you know, in your methods and you include data and you include, you know, analysis scripts that helps limit that too. Like that also creates a way to, to kind of handle this process. Yeah. So sort of along those lines, I'd be interested to hear from you all. Um, you know, we, uh, edit at journals, we're editors at journals, we're reviewers for lots of journals and things like that. And um, when it comes to authors, you know, it's so great to see so many journals finally requiring that data could be submitted along with the paper and, and code accessible and things. How do you approach that as a reviewer? I always ask for it. <laughs> so. What's sort of your process of going through it? Do you check that you can run the code, that you get the same answers do you do other things write your own code um yeah i'll go so far as to to typically run the code and um you know ideally if it's something that like i already already know how to to work in so like if it's in you know sas or r or something i can you know kind of read it and work with it or if it's python i can kind of at least work it out um i like to look at the data and just kind of just play around with it itself too and make sure like you can recreate some of the stuff that's in the paper that usually gives me a high degree of confidence um and then if it's not there um it depends right like 
you can't really be a hard ass necessarily. You can always write in there. I always try to be like nice and be like, it'd be really nice if you guys could add, you know, give this and put this out. It's really helpful. Um, I do get contentious when they put shit in there. Like it will be available after publication. Yeah. Why are we also worried that people are going to come scoop our data and write our paper? Like sometimes I got some data sets. I'd love it if people wrote the papers for me. Like just right? let like, me know. Like, bro, <laughs> who has the time? Like, <laughs> but like, I don't like that because it feels challenging to me. Yeah. And I don't like that. And so that's almost an automatic reject to me, which has been overridden by editors. And that's perfectly in within their right. But I was like, look. I don't like the way this is being challenged and the rest of this is fine. But without this, like I just like, why you got to come in combative when I'm the one doing the labor of reviewing your paper, you should make my life easier. Right. I want, I want to help you. So don't challenge me. Right. I'm not your enemy. Help me help you. Yeah. So I, I don't get it. Could, do you guys understand that? Like, is it just the, they don't want to be scooped kind of thing? Cause really, like you said, who has the time? Well, especially when you've already written the damn paper, right? Like, <laughs> right. It's already here, dude. Like pre-printed. If you, well, you obviously aren't going to pre-print it if you can't even be bothered to like send in your data or script. And like, if it's code, man, don't worry about it. Bad code is still better than no code. Yeah, I mean the the thing that I the thing that I do comment on, you know, quite a bit is when people say that like they put stuff in their GitHub, um, but don't indicate like plans to put it on like Zenodo or Figshare or something like that. Because GitHub is not a GitHub isn't a repository. <laughs> you can you can delete stuff off of it, like you can change stuff. Um there's I mean, there's obviously, like, versioning, but, like, unless you explicitly do it, there's no way of reliably, after the fact, like, linking the version of the code and the data to the version that's in the published record. Um, so I, I do I, I do push on that a lot. But, like, you go a lot further than I do, typically, in terms of um, vetting code and, and data, Yeah. And interestingly, you know, John, when you said with like, you know, the GitHub is not a repository and things, that's totally true. And needing to have those DOIs that are associated with the version that were in the paper. Right. Um, But I also wonder for some folks, too, like if that's what they have in their paper, like how much of that is also just not awareness. Right. Because even until very recently, like we were never formally taught this crap in grad school. Right. This is all stuff we've been teaching ourselves and finding out from people in the community who are willing to teach us for the past decade. And I, by no means, am an expert on these things. Right. And and I'm still, you know, learning new things all the time. Um, and so that also I, I I guess I would just put I would say and I think you all would agree with me, the education for this needs to also start matching the requirements and the needs of the community because it's definitely a need. It's not just a requirement, it's a need. Right. And as these um these two cases have shown, it is a need to have these things be available. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. And you know, one of the things that I think that um, you know, these recent cases point to is that like Fraud is probably a, I think there's been a, a 
perception that fraud is like vanishingly rare in ecology and evolution. And I'm pretty confident that it's still rare, but like there's a big difference between like one or two percent and like one or two hundredths of a percent. And I, mm-hmm. I think that we're probably a lot I think we're probably closer to or at least I'm starting to become suspicious that we may be closer to like one or two percent than one or two hundredths of a percent in terms of like the rate of um you know fraudulent or like seriously problematic even if not like intent to commit fraud um in terms of like results in the published literature mm-hmm. so i have a question for you this is i think differs slightly from what we were talking about previously offline um you because know, i was looking through stuff today um you know prominent scientific fraud cases a lot of them are in psychology or behavioral sciences or in biological sciences um, and when I say biological sciences, I typically mean more health-related things, right? Like anything from microbiology to immunology, epidemiology, etc. And I wonder if they're more in those fields because those fields have already went through the reproducibility crisis, right? Like you, know, you think of like Center for Open Science and Brian Nosek mm. and a lot of those that group. Um, that there's already been concentrated efforts to reproduce a lot of the uh, the work in you know, behavioral sciences and health sciences and biological sciences um, and to some ends you know particularly like behavioral sciences a lot of it has just been creating better methods and not necessarily fraud related whereas you have had a fair a, an amount of you know fraud particularly in a lot of the biological sciences do you think that you know because ecology has a problem with reproducibility in that a lot of our studies are so site and, you know, specific that it's actual reproducibility is impossible. Do you think that that might possibly be why we ourselves have not kind of had that come to Jesus talk with ourselves? Because, you know, if you have your own site, it's you're the only one doing work there. It's a little bit more difficult to maybe be found out. That that's certainly true, um, and could be the case for some. And it's also like, how do you just reproduce a, a one in a hundred year disturbance that then you study through your system, right? Like that doesn't. And so, I, I guess a little bit counter to that, I would say that. One thing that's hopefully continuing to grab even more hold in ecology is synthesis work and the general understandings we can gain across these site-specific studies as an important. It's certainly possible. There's, you know, there could be the loan, or not even loan, multiple people just out there fabricating data, but... Yeah, I just wonder, I mean, like, I figure most of the errors, I would like to think that there are probably more errors than we think there are, but I would like to think that most of those errors um, are probably just, like, transcription errors or errors in data collection that, you know, whoever's doing it copied something wrong or something. Um, But then the, it seems like the likelihood that there's a serial fabricator (laughs) is higher than we probably want to admit. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, su- I subscribe to that. I mean, if we think about, like, you know, the incentives to publish quickly and in high-profile journals, I mean, those have been pretty strong for, you know, I want to say, like, at least the you know at least the past few decades, um, you know the job market's been pretty competitive, um, and stuff like that. And it's really only in, I mean, there are still some prominent journals in our field that are like only just now getting to requiring data archival as a condition of publication. So, and, and the way that these yeah, what's up, ESA? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and the and the way that like and the way that you can actually detect this is, is, you know, has been through data. I mean, uh, other than that, it's sort of like, you know, hearsay and, um, you know, without evidence, but if you go back to the data, you, you can, you can see things that like, at least sure as shit look like, you know, manipulation and duplication of, um, of values and data sets. Uh, so that, that that brings us up to a point. How how do we detect fraud post hoc then? Well, I, th- I I mean how it's been done is is in the data, and and that's the only way that that I know how to do it. Um, I mean the the question for me isn't like so much how do we do it. It's you know why do we do it, or or to what extent do we do it? Like I think we want to prevent things from entering the literature that are fraudulent but you know if if my assumption is true that there are that there are frauds existing in the you know in the literature who have you know already you know to what extent do we want to go back and try and find those that's that's a kind of a, a thornier and more interesting question um to me because it it kind of gets at how we function um, as a field and, and how much we trust each other and, and trust the the canon. I think we also have a, a field that's far less cutthroat in that respect than like the ones I was talking about previously, that there's not just like a bunch of typically white dudes on Reddit and whatnot who are tearing through preprints because there are for some fields, right? Like just looking for right. shit. We don't have that. Yeah, but you do get the, yes, but there are still personalities or characters or, I'm trying to find a nice way of say this. Remember that guy who said we could just plant the world in trees and that would solve climate change? Like whatever the hell that was a couple of years ago, right? So there, there's definitely, you're right. I, I think we tend to think of ourselves and in, in, in not being as as competitive and, um, but there are definitely still incentives to uh fabricate truths or fabricate data right or blow things out of proportion because we're not curing cancer and we're not saving lives but we are doing environmental science and the globe is changing rapidly right so i definitely think there is a large portion of folks out there not a large portion that that was a complete misstatement there are some folks out there that are probably really taking advantage of that no, that should be, and I, I do want to point out, like, his work was not fraud. It was definitely, like, a little bit extrapolation there, but definitely not. Oh, like yeah, fraud. no, it was just Fine. ridiculous. Yeah, it was like, and so. 
Yeah, no, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to in, in, uh, intimate that it was fraud. I just found it completely ridiculous. <laughs> Poor dude had to go into hiding for like a year, Aww. basically, and like changed everything in his pro- like public profiles and whatnot. But you know, to that end, though, you you know, it's come around. You know, just from that, think you're right. Thinking about the implications of our work, right? We're not curing cancer or whatnot, but you see shit like YouTubers now trying to plant a hundred million trees based on that stuff because it's it's the findings it, it's similar to like the i don't think it's fraud necessarily it's more similar to like the guy who did the chocolate thing who tried to like make the point like chocolate actually makes you lose weight and when it wasn't that at all it was more just people took something and blew it out of proportion mm-hmm. and so i think that's more of a, a parable of of being more restrained with how one interprets their results necessarily because like yeah if you build a model and run it and says you should plant trees somewhere you're going to find that if you don't account for below ground carbon which is a thing your model's going to say plant trees which is not wrong but it's a model the right. model's wrong because all models are wrong just this one wasn't useful right <laughs> <laughs> and so you know yeah they're all wrong it's just the interpretation of it that's what a model exists right. for so I, so I think it's different like i said it's a shades of something and it gets similar to like shades between like totally making your data up versus yeah. somebody accidentally making a transcription error and putting a 69 mm-hmm. when it should be a 96 right well and you know and i think this kind of so i'm kind of going off into left field a little bit, but follow me if you want. Um, But if if we think a little bit about, too, again, getting back to how do we train people to be ecologists, and in particular thinking about, because we have a majority of ecosystem ecologists here right now, right? Like, what are the pillars of ecosystem ecology? And yeah, we can't always go and reproduce some major one in a hundred year event, right? That is affecting our system that we're following through or disturbance or something like that. Um, But both weight of evidence, right? So thinking about long-term studies, ecosystem experiments, models, and theory all coming together, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that we do have some reproducibility in in that synthesis and things too. Mm -hmm. And the possibility as well. Like uh, a couple years ago, I was a co-author in a paper where we looked at like all the lake nutrient, whole lake nutrient addition experiments that have been done and sort of like what is that, like thinking about that, cast in a reproducibility context. Essentially, here's an experiment we reproduced a bunch of times over 30 years. What can we learn? What were the surprises? So there's certainly some possibility for that in ecology, right? But it's maybe not the same way as some of the other biological fields that have had this reckoning. You're right. We have not had the same reckoning that those other fields have had. But I don't think it's because we can't have that reckoning or can't have some ways that we think about what reproducibility or weight of evidence or things means. Right. We should not think we are immune to this. Right. Um, and and the, maybe the incentive to write the like small minimum publishable unit, what, what they used to call in grad school, the MPU, right? Mm-hmm. Versus the gathering weights of evidence, which takes a longer time and multiple lines of evidence towards an idea, which is a much better paper. But mm-hmm. we are trained and at, particularly in the academic route, right? to go for the MPU. And I think that's also part of what that doesn't excuse it. That doesn't create fraudsters or anything like that, but it's part of the pressure. Yeah. And it gets, that brings an interesting question. Like what, you know, what is the main incentive of this? Like, why would somebody do this Mm -hmm. besides, I mean, I guess the obvious one is um, simply fame and renown. 
Yeah, man. I think we've we've seen. I mean, I you know. I don't I don't understand the psyche, and I'm not pretending to, but you know, certainly, like it seems as though, at least for cases of of serial fraud, um, that this is about part at least in part about career building and um you know especially you know maybe particularly like as someone who's early career like like all of us like that particularly concerns me because in order to build my career like which I'm attempting to do honestly like I have to compete with potentially people who are you know doing it dishonestly um and you know and using improper means to do some combination of publishing a lot of papers and publishing papers that you know by virtue of being provocative and and having seemingly clear-cut results are able to get into um prestigious journals you know those things count um and certainly when we are competing against folks like that, and I don't, th- again, like, I don't think this is a large number of people, but, you know, there's potential for people who are willing to cut corners like that to, um, to, you know, to get ahead. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, we like to think that it's, um, that every like that everything will work out by doing good work, but um, there are a limited number of good positions and a limited number of slots in prestigious journals, and um, some people are getting them and some aren't. Yeah, it seems like one other possible means of fraud detection is simply looking at those who have quite the meteoric rise. Maybe just taking a closer look sometimes. <laughs> but also, I don't know if it's that the major cases that we have of fraud in the past few years, you know, those major cases tend to be people who have had a meteoric rise. Does that mean they're the only ones doing it or simply because they had enough exposure that they were caught? Mm. Uh, yeah, who knows? Yeah, I, I think... I think it could be a little bit of a little bit of each. I mean, you know, part of part of like getting caught seems to be having co-authors that are willing to take a hard look at at things um you know, who have access to the data and you know, know the ins and outs of what was done. Um and that's certainly, at least in our increasingly collaborative way of doing ecology, um, that seems to be something that, you know, kind of comes with um, productivity and and renown. Sorry, what comes with? <laughs> uh, having a lot of co- having a lot of collaborators. Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. Quality collaborators and a lot of them, you know. <laughs> Sorry, as it gets later in the night, I sometimes have a hard time following the nouns and sentences. That's all right. Um, I have a bad habit of like writing really and speaking really Faulknerian prose. (laughs) (laughs) 
You think? Interesting. I never. No, okay. I can kind of see that. I'm a sucker for a really long sentence with like six or seven parenthetical expressions. Yeah, that's okay. I write too much natural history and things and want to tell people the story. Mm. People are just like, get to the fucking point. <laughs> Grace, who do, you, who do you write like? Uh, that's a really good question. I don't know if I've identified that what I write like. Um, definitely write differently since my ADHD diagnosis and getting treatment for that <laughs> and whatnot. <laughs> A few less parenthetical references, but those were mostly just me trying to tell you about all the thoughts in my brain all at once. <laughs> so, this is a very clear Midwestern Annie Dillard style. Or whatever. Yeah. So, I don't know. To be fair, I actually don't know of Annie Dillard's in the Midwest. I should have checked out before I said that. <laughs> we're going to fact check you next time. No, I'm kidding. Uh... Speaking of frauds. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Well, you know, it, um, yeah, I have to say one of the things that when um, I was in Iowa, I was in charge of, of running a state certified lab and the data that we were collecting were for um, use to do water quality assessments and things with the Clean Water Act. Right. And so I was introduced and sort of immersed into this whole new world of having to use chain of custody forms and tracking every single bottle and sample and and things and documentation. Um and it seemed ridiculous at the at the beginning, right? And then we had 14 people collecting data and processing samples through and hundreds of them, right? And it was like, oh, yeah, that's why we did this. Because at the end of the day, we can actually say what happened with this sample, right? And every single step that it went through. And so I think that'd be, it'd be interesting to talk about our evolution and maybe a, a future episode of our approach to data collection and management and analysis um, as we've been learning more. And, and going through this. So, yeah, I think that'd be really good. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd imagine that we've all kind of been on a, you know, we, we came into the culture of whatever our lab group was doing and grew from there. Do you think that we go disproportionately harder in that that area than most people? Harder in what sense? Like, I feel like we're... Um, I know I tend to be the one who's always advocating for, for data management and for more rigorous stuff and than a lot of people I work with, um, with the exception of you guys, like it seems to make sense to you guys when I say it, but yeah, that'd be interesting to think about. And I wonder how much of that is also baked into what the norms of a field are, right? So this was also a conversation that happened recently on Twitter where folks were talking about how do you collect data? Do you do it in a data notebook or on a data sheet? Do you make standardized data sheets for your, a project? Do you do tablet oh, yeah. data collection and things, right? And, um, you know, it really matters, I'm sure, for what type of data that you're doing or whatnot. But I was like, oh, my God, I never want anyone to, at least at this point, I am not comfortable with direct entering into a computer because the written records are always more reliable. People write better than they type. And at least you have something to go check it against. I don't like direct into a tablet. Yeah. I don't at all. In fact, I actually make, I take note, a lot of the stuff that I do, you know, collects its own data, right? So 
but I'd bring a notebook with me to basically write the metadata out because I don't want to rename files and shit in the woods. And so I will literally write down like the time of collection, where everything is, the plot, etc. And so that way, and I'll always check the time on the machine, whichever one it is, so I can match the times, the time signatures and date signatures and know where everything is. And then I photocop, I take a picture of it at the end of the day. Yes. One time I'll have to tell you all about the story about how I lost an entire Right in the Rain notebook with data down the South Fork of the O River, but we found it hours later. (laughs) But that's for another time. But yes, you take a photo after every day. Yep. I have, people think I'm crazy. They think I'm crazy until something happens and they're like, oh, this is why. I'm like, yeah, this is why. Mm -hmm. I've already made these mistakes and I don't want to do them again. Um... So we take a picture. Yeah. <laughs> and I have, you see that stack of books right there? Those are all right in the rain books. <laughs> all 12 of those from different projects. So. Yeah, and I think you're right. That may be something interesting to discuss. And how much have we, uh, how much do we have these practices because they're things we've messed up in the past or we've watched others close to us or on projects mess up too, right? So not necessarily because they were best practices that were taught to us in the norm of best practices, but because we just picked them up. Yeah. I honestly think that one of the best parts about getting students into research early is so that they can make mistakes when it doesn't matter. Mm. And they can learn from it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you get to do a small project, um, I remember my, my, one of my, my first REU student, uh, he's great, he's in a PhD program now um, up north in uh, the wonderful area of New England, which is a great place I feel comfortable in, um, <laughs> for this conversation. But uh, he did the experiment, the experiment that he was working on included like working with a, you know, such and such block volume of soil that he would have to dig out and every time. And... He didn't realize to the entire his when he started doing his analysis at the end after he had done all of his experiments, all of his like samples and whatnot. This is also why you should do your analysis earlier or like mock it up so you can see what's wrong with it. His numbers were fucking wild and didn't make any sense. And he realized because he knew the depth that he was supposed to go to, had marked it um, uh, in inches, however. And not centimeters on what he had took out into the field. And so he ended up doing like 60% deeper than he was supposed to. But he went back and was doing all of his analysis in centimeters uh, and metric. And didn't know, why did this make any sense? And so he went back and tracked the equipment. Because he had just like the first day of the field. He's like, put a tape on the shovel or whatever it was. And oh, done. And uh, he was doing 10 inches, not 10 centimeters. And... It was fine, you know, like it it worked out and we could account for that. But that's like a low pressure, easy mistake to make. Um, But he made it when it didn't matter, really, right? Like Mm -hmm. it was something we could correct. And, you know, part of, you know, like you said, we we learn by doing and, you know, failure is a really good teacher, as Yoda would say. (laughs) And um, he's not wrong. Yeah. So that's why I think it's important to give kids or students exercises and and projects and and whatnot instead of just doing rote memorization because you're also just teaching them how to fail and how to learn from that. And that's really powerful. Mm -hmm. So Data are messy. Data are. As someone who rarely collects original data, but 
works with a lot of different people, I really appreciate my organized collaborators that <laughs> that know everything about how a piece of data was collected and organize their computer directories and yeah, it's so much better than trying to piece together stuff after the fact when yeah. it was poorly yeah. documented. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to do a follow-up on data management because I've had to work with relational databases lately. This is a wild world, man. <laughs> There's a wild. whole industry out there of that people are selling the government, right, of these relational databases. Yeah, and I... And other entities, too, but seriously, like, at least the one I've had to deal with with the Army Corps, it was called Dazzler, and it was anything but dazzling. <laughs> I, legit, I legit do not see the advantage, and I hope I would like somebody smarter than me to explain it to right. me. Um, Alas. Well, so, fraudsters beware. <laughs> We're coming for you now, we <laughs> You could, you could, I think it's, and I think it was John Bruno made a comment about that, like related to somebody else, but you know, you could make an asshole career out of this, but I think ecology is a field that kind of really disincentivizes that too. But I mean, like you could probably do it. Yeah. I don't think anybody would like you. Be very lonely at meetings. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Hopefully so not. Do you, do you think somebody will though? Oh, I, I as sure as I am that there are folks that are fabricating data and whatnot and doing fraudulent practices among us. Is as sure as I am that there are people who will make their name off of calling them out. Right? It's like attorneys. <laughs> right of of um, uh, really bad criminals. What? Right? Like, why do we know about Kardashian? Because he defended O.J. Simpson. So, yeah. They're all informants. I will, okay, I want to pitch one more thing to you, and then we can wrap up. Now you're getting tired, even though you're on, it's only 9.16 Central Time, since you guys get a free hour. Um, your time's made up. Um, do you think, then, that, say, say we got 50 of us together, and we picked... Um, each picked a paper of ours and we got together as a consortium and did like reanalysis. Do you see that as being something that people would be open to in ecology? Like say we are oh, like a hundred papers or whatever. And we went back and did reanalysis to see if they came to exist. Cause I, I know there was a similar to this. It wasn't like reanalysis, but I contributed like to some project where somebody had done basically the, you know, they had three data sets and they farmed them out to people to do multiple types of analysis to see if they come to the same result. Like, I, I reviewed a bunch of analyses for that project. Um, Me too. And that was really interesting. Did you do it? Yeah, yeah. it was really cool. Um, but do you see, like, reanalysis maybe? Like, we come back. Like, the people who contributed to the original mm. experiments. Do you think people would be open to that? I think in some cases, yes. Um it wasn't it wasn't successful for a variety of reasons, but I actually recently reviewed a paper that was essentially revisiting a result from about 
you know, five or six years ago, um, same authors, they had collected more data, the data contradicted their earlier interpretations, um, and they were, they're trying to publish a, you know, basically an update to that earlier piece. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and so that's one example. I mean, I would certainly be open to, you know, having, my earlier results reanalyzed. Um, and, and on it, if we're being honest, like you may not find identical results, you know, I don't think you would find opposite results, but I, 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 I think it just being realistic to think that, you know, you might see variables switching from significant effects to insignificant effects, um, you know, v- changes in, in effect size and things like that, depending on how you, choose to analyze the data and, and that that's just the reality of it. And, um, you know, some of these choices are fairly clear cut, but a lot of them are pretty subjective. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. I, I agree with everything John said. I would just also add that, um, for that to happen, there needs to, likely to get that size group together and do that thing as some sort of incentive dollars like it is gonna like dollars or it is gonna get published right or things oh, like that'd that. be a big paper that'd be a huge paper i don't know why, why anyone would cite it though yeah right so and so i think it also gets back to that what are there some perverse incentives in the way our system is structured and i think we would all nod our heads right now and go hell yeah um but yeah. There's no incentive to go back and look at something past. There's just not. Unless you're dis like proving it somehow. Like you know like you're like, oh such and such was wrong. You know, Wilkinson twenty fifteen, that paper's trash. Yeah. But there's no incentive to like reanalyze something. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Except for honesty. I mean, if you're talking about a single paper, I think it would be really interesting to look at a group of papers that was large enough to really assess whether they, um, you know, replicated or, or, or if, you know, a, a different approach to the same data set was consistent with the original conclusions. Mm. And, and to look at that systematically across a number of papers, which would be doable. So maybe we should do it. I feel like this is either like a slam dunk NSF idea or a non-starter. I don't know which one it is. I don't think it's an NSF idea, but I think it... Is this like a center for open science thing? I think it would get... So the problem is I don't know who would fund it, right? Like, I think that it would get into a good ecology journal, but I, but I, but I have doubts about whether the idea is actually fundable. At least use like, at least using like you know conventional, you know NSF, NASA, you know USDA, NOAA, like those types of of funders that fund a lot of the work in our field. We're talking like MacArthur, Carnegie, Alfred P. Sloan type territory, then, right? Oh yeah, or, sure, all those. Or the the Melinda Sorry. Gates Foundation, <laughs> right? <laughs> As it will be known henceforth. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna call. <laughs> oh my! Wasn't the only bill on the island. That's all I'm saying. 
Cool. All right, so we're going to meet, hit y'all back here soon then with episode 72 where we talk data management and best practices as far as we know. And us environmental scientists are going to tell us behavioral ecologists what's up. So. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> There's a fair amount of hubris that goes into that statement. <laughs> that was meant for comedic effect, but whatever. We'll see. Cool. Anybody got anything else they want to add to this? Excellent. Well, thanks for that. We appreciate you listening to our fine show, and you can find us on Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, as it's now known. I said iTunes last time, so out of touch I am, as well as Stitcher and Spotify and all the other places that you can, and be looking for an update to the website soon as we continue to add some other stuff. And that's us. Good night, y'all. See you later. Everybody's doing something wrong Everybody